Okay. Uh, tell me about your first car. Matt, you know I don't like these questions. Can you come up with a new set? Peanut butter, crunchy or smooth? Neither. Classic Harry. Welcome to Just Over the Fence, our monthly podcast where we get to know our neighbors, backyard conversations, and it is my honor and privilege to interview <laughs> my bride. Aw, that Her- was really super sweet. Harry Harrison. Harry Harrison. Harry H. Harrison. You want to tell him what it stands for? Uh, one of the H's is for hot. Head. Harry. Well, hot head Harry. <laughs> Triple H. <laughs> that can happen. Yeah. That's the, possible. The, yeah. This summer um, is getting funner and and busier and crazier. So um, we decided we would finish part two of getting to know Matt and Harry right now. I said last month that we were so desperate for guests, you interviewed me. <laughs> but that's not the case this month. I'm, I'm really excited about this. And I asked you not to see any of the questions ahead of time. So this is going to be fun. Right. No, these questions are totally new for you. Okay. Except and for what do you want to joke? throw just over the fence yeah. and we're trying to edit less too so we're just on the roll here here we go yeah minimal minimal editing on this do you want me to do the music doom 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 i forget it that's it there you go okay okay i like it Harry, I have to ask you about some of your jobs over the years. You've had some good ones. Had some fun ones. Especially early on. Yes. Right out of high school. You did not waste any time. You moved out to California. I did. Landed in Santa Barbara. Yep. Through 29 Palms to Santa Barbara. And you started at the top of the hotel industry. I did. <laughs> what did you do? You, this was at the Four Seasons Biltmore. It in was. Santa Barbara. It was Marriott Biltmore when I began there. Summer after I graduated high school. I was 18. And then there was a hostile takeover. That's what they used to call it. I don't think you could call it that anymore. But What did you do there? Oh, what didn't I do there? I started in the gift shop. And the reason I got the job in the gift shop is because... Uh, Mary Ellen, the woman who ran it at the time, the boutique and the gift shop on site, found out I was from Iowa and I was hired for the morning shift because she said, people in Iowa, they get up with the cows and stuff. <laughs> so you'll be able to do the morning shift. Okay. So that's how I got in. Any notable, well, some of the most famous people on earth stay at that hotel, yes. that resort. Any memorable run-ins there? Yeah, quite a few. Um, The one that made me the most, the star that made me the most nervous was Eddie Albert from Green Acres. (laughs) I mean, I saw all kinds of stars in there and and we had to sign a thing that we would not, you know, overreact with them. Uh, But I didn't have a problem with that. But when Eddie Albert walked in one day, um, I started shaking (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I think it was because he was so connected to my childhood Yeah, watching Green Acres. So, and he was the kindest man. He's kind, kind, kind. And uh, he wanted to see a crystal schnauzer because he had a schnauzer at home in, uh-huh. in my glass window. So I had to unlock it and he had to help me because my hand was shaking so bad. Oh, wow. <laughs> the key couldn't unlock it. <laughs> <laughs> so, but he was very kind. He put his hand on my shoulder and, mm-hmm. and... Um, was very kind to me. So, nice. I remember you telling a story about uh, the Motley Crue drummer uh, Tommy Lee. Tommy Lee. Uh-huh. Yes. And now this this is breaking your and your non disclosure agreement. I hope that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I think it's been long enough. Nobody cares. So Tommy Lee and Heather Locklear, their wedding was at the Santa Barbara Biltmore. So we uh, we saw just about everybody. Dynasty cast to. Um, quiet riot to all the heavy metal bands (laughs) and uh it was a mixture it was such a mixture because heather ran in one crowd and of course tommy ran in another but they were all super great 
And um, yeah, about 10 minutes before the wedding was to take place out back, uh, Tommy Lee got the gift shop. He called me in the gift shop and he meant to call room service. So he started giving me his order, which was like (laughs) six Coronas and I don't remember what else. But he was, again, super kind. I said, I'm sorry, but this is the gift shop when he got done with his list of things. And aren't you getting married in 10 minutes? If you need a crystal schnauzer, I can help. Yeah, that's right. That's right. No, but they were, everyone I ever met there, there was a couple that I won't name that were really disappointing uh, and unkind. But um, the majority of the people who were active in Hollywood at that time and still are, many of them were extremely kind to all of us that worked there. So I worked in the gift shop, PBX. I made my way around the hotel. What's PBX? They have a room that two people, one or two people or more, used to set in and answer the phone hit on a a board that's in front of you, answer the phone when it's incoming, and then you could transfer them from there. But it was uh, called a PBX system. So you were a PBX operator, and you took physical messages for your guests, and they would come to the front desk and grab their messages. Yeah, like the movies. Any, Any memorable messages? Yeah, I mean, there were... A ton of them, too. But um, again, one that made me nervous on the phone <laughs> was someone called for Harry Belafonte. So we we didn't even know in the PBX room. They were very uh, sacred and still are. I still know people who work around there um, about names of people who were staying there, as you should be. So we didn't even know. But then the person came back to me from the switchboard in front of me, rang up to the room, came back, and said they were leaving a message for yeah. Harry Belafonte. So if you worked at another hotel, you might think, yeah, right. But I knew it was him. From there, you went into a career in hotel. You were a GM at mm-hmm. hotels around the country. Well, before I got into anything else, I ran Disneyland hotels, and I picked up a side hustle for Odyssey Tours in Hollywood. So Wait, I did the you Hollywood. were a tour bus guide? I was a tour bus driver. You were driver? <laughs> I did not know that. Yeah. Yeah. When I trained, I didn't have to drive. But then when, when you drive, you take the mic. So. And the tour was of? Hollywood and Beverly Hills, Rodeo Drive, and um, the Stars Homes. And oh, you would be the best tour guide. <laughs> It was, it was fun. It was, it, it really was. It was a short-lived uh, excursion of mine on the <laughs> side, but but it was fun. And I met a lot of just incredibly interesting people from around the globe. And uh, many, many of my people riding my bus did not speak English. So mm-hmm. we just found a way to laugh and point. And <laughs> you would point out some of the stars' homes. Uh-huh. And most of them you would never see, but one... Would come out and say hello. He right? would wait for us. Yeah, I think I'm sure he did with all the tour companies. But Mr. T, for those of you who remember <laughs> him, and he would come out in all of his garb, of course, and mm-hmm. and uh, gold chains, and and he was great. Mm-hmm. He was really great. Yeah, but the, most of the stars that I had on my tour were fine with you driving by. Um, so I think they probably had an agreement with the ones that they could drive by and mm-hmm. point out, but. Um, yeah, Mr. T was great. He got excited when the tour bus came. He gave him a show. Wow. Yeah. And then you, you got into, uh, your career went on in hotel. You became a GM, like you said, at Disneyland hotels or really around the country. Yes. And then, uh, got into radio. I did. In Sioux City. Radio sales. And then came Matt. Oh, Aww. I'm glad you did. That's how we met. Isn't that great? Yeah, I worked for Radio Works, um, which then became Clear Channel. They were taken over by Clear Channel while I worked there. And we had five stations, as you well know, because Matt had a little uh, season there. Yeah, I was working at, uh, as radio stations used to be, in AM, FM. That's all you could own, and then deregulation, and you could own more stations in one market, and so they combined with the other AM, FM in town, and added a fifth F, or third FM, and became Radio Works. Yeah. 
And uh, but I had left before you started there. But again, thank you, Chris, for having a birthday. I know we met at we his met, party. Um, yeah, it was an on-the-air birthday party for our dear friend Chris, who does the Hey Harry things. Um, yeah, we met that night, and we knew that night. So, yeah, thank you for being in radio too, Maddie. It's truly the least I could do. <laughs> Yeah, so then we came back out here to uh, Denver. I went back into hotel and then um, down the line, to make a long story short, uh, started working for a ministry, a beloved ministry, Providence Network. Uh, and I became a Stephen minister and I became a Billy Grand chaplain through our church, Greenwood Community Church. So I continue to do those two things and... Oh, I remember one other job in Santa Barbara. Yeah. When we visited there, yes. we have to go get dessert at McConnell's ice cream. Uh, yeah. So when I first landed in Santa Barbara, well, in 29 Palms, my first job was at the military base there uh, because my father was able to get me an ID to go on and off their enormous military base there. So I worked there at their restaurant and then I got hired at Kentucky Fried Chicken. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> we had a short stint there. Oh, I wish I had a picture of that uniform. <laughs> yeah, which actually all of those, every job I've ever had, uh, I don't have any that I uh, don't have great memories about. But And then when I went to Santa Barbara, I uh, the first two jobs I picked up were working part-time at a place called Kernahan's Toy Store. So anyone who is uh, from Southern California, and old enough to remember, it was a very, it was a legendary toy store. And at the same time, I needed more hours, so I picked up a job at McConnell's Ice Cream. The original shop. Yeah. Not, so now you can get that ice cream around the country. We At in least Whole in Denver, Foods. it's at Whole Foods. Yeah. And when we got hired, we had to taste every ice cream <laughs> in the back room and know it well. So it was, again, family owned and... And again, I'm not sure if it still is, but it still has great ice cream. I love McConnell's. There's a, uh, can I say about when you mentioned 29 Palms, this is another thing. Until I met you, uh-huh. I didn't know that was a city. Yeah. Uh, there was a song by Robert Plant that came out early 90s, a solo record, a song called 29 Palms. I didn't know he was singing about a city. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to test my memory, but there are four cities. It's right outside of Palm Springs. And Palm Desert, if you're familiar with that area in California, and it is 29 Palms, Joshua Tree, Yucca Valley, and there is a fourth, Moreno Valley wow. is the fourth. Okay. There you go. So I think I hit them all. I think I'm sensing a fierceness here that I'm aware of. I'm married to you, but you graduated high school and within a few weeks you were on a plane to California and just getting jobs just doing it just doing it uh yeah I had a grandfather that we really uh were well we were strongly estranged from him but I thought he's family so I'll start there and he wanted me to come out uh and live with him and uh I quickly found out what it was like to live with an alcoholic and so um, my brother Kent um, had went to Westmar College, which is no longer around, but it's a Christian. It was a Christian college in Lamar's, Iowa, the ice cream capital of the world. And I would go up there as a little girl in middle school on weekends and spend time in the girls' dorms with his friends. And there were twins, identical twins, that then went on to move to Santa Barbara. So my next stop. Uh, after 29 Palms. And I met amazing family in 29 Palms. There's a couple here in town in Denver now, and they were so great to me. So I was so glad for my time in 29 Palms because it extended my family connections. And then I moved to Santa Barbara and moved in with Carol and Cheryl Ackerman. Well, I'll just say that some of that family in 29 Palms, I never got to meet Uncle Milt. But he was important to me because he he would be in touch with you and he sent a daily devotional email. Well, yes, he did that. And then he sent a monthly or quarterly family newsletter 
uh, for my dad's side of the family that was called the bull sheet. Mm-hmm. Bull sheeter? Bull sheeter, yeah. I think it was. Yeah. And he would send a hard copy in the mail. But yeah, he, he uh, had an incredible impact on my life. He was retired Navy chaplain and he was a grief counselor. He was an incredible piece of my story. Even though we had a short stint together, he uh, is one of those mentors that uh, stayed in touch. Some of your good friends in Santa Barbara to this day, uh, Eric Hammer and his wife, Kristen, who we lost, um, but they, they owned the uh, coffee shop on State Street. If I mean, if you've been in Santa Barbara, you know it. It's yeah. uh, Hot Spots. Hot Spots. And Mad Dogs. They owned Mad Dogs. They started Mad Dogs, but um, yeah, we lost Christian, uh, Christian just a few years ago. I lost two of my dear friends, mm-hmm. Sherry Wiggins from high school, who was a roommate of mine in Santa Barbara, and and Kristen within six months. Mm-hmm. Uh, we lost both of them. Sherry to ALS and Kristen to cancer at a very young age. Mm-hmm. I just, I remember going out and meeting Eric and Kristen, but Eric and he had, he always had like four side things going. It's like, <laughs> you got to have the hustle going if you're going to live out there. You know? Yeah. 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 And Eric is doing great. He's yeah. with, with an incredible woman. Um, we haven't met her yet, but I'm sure we will. Mm-hmm. And, um, he's doing great. So yeah, I tend to keep my friends from wherever, whatever piece of my life I experience, um, that's where my lover of souls comes in. As long as the connection is good and, and, um, it's supposed to continue. There are some times when they're not, um, and that's okay too. And you wish people well, but I have friends from many States that I have experienced life with along the journey. Explain this to me. You are drawn to the ocean, but you don't want to get in. <laughs> Anytime we're out there, you, you say, gonna, go ahead, get yeah, in. Go ahead, get in. So when Matt and I met and got married, our first trip we did with uh, Tanner and Kenzie was a trip to Southern California. And I wanted him to meet all my friends out there. Chris, who now lives up in Montana and and her two kids. And there's quite a few people, Christina, of course, and, and her family, her beautiful family. And that Matt and I married, actually, we performed the ceremony of Stephanie, her youngest daughter, um, just a little over a year and a half ago. So super close friends. So we took off to California to stay with and meet all of my friends out there. And Matt could not wait to get me to the ocean. And so we got to Santa Barbara and we pulled up to the wharf and he said, go run, get in. I've got the kids. And I said, oh, I don't get in the ocean anymore. (laughs) I used to, I don't do that anymore, but I did. There's something powerful and majestic and anyone else who loves the ocean, um, you know the yearning your soul has to get back to it. If you don't see it for a while, you your body uh, yearns for it. There's just a God's majestic power, the breakwater in Santa Barbara at night. I used to go down there in the middle of the night after getting off a shift at the hotel and, and try to outrun uh, the water crashing over the breakwater. It was kind of a fun thing my friends and I did. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I would do it alone mm-hmm. after a shift. Um, so there's just, there's something powerful about the oceans. It's like the mountains. I love the mountains too, but there's something about water crashing and, uh, the tide coming in when the tide comes in and watching those waves roll more and more and more. I have a wonderful memory of Christmas out there a few years ago, Christmas morning, you and I went for a walk on that breakwater Yes, and all these dolphins were having their morning fun time yeah we'd see him pop up go back under it was pretty i'll never forget that yeah santa barbara is will always be one of my favorite cities in the entire world it just has um a gift of nature a gift of beautiful nature and tropical nature and um yeah the dolphins play all the time off the coast so and then Tanner lived there for 12 years since yeah. we always spent time out there. So he fell in love with it as well. And when he was 18, he did the same thing as his mom. And he moved to Santa Barbara. 
And that's where he met Keith. And now we have Zoe and Kendra. Mm -hmm. So that's awesome. And the girls absolutely love Santa Barbara too. Mm -hmm. I'll be shocked if one of them doesn't end up out there someday. Yeah. Do you remember getting off the plane in California when you flew out there right after high school, right after graduating? Do you remember that? Yes. Tell me about it. Yeah. I was um, supposed to wait uh, a couple of weeks and Sherry Wiggins, who we talked about a little bit ago, um, and I were going to drive out together and live there together. She got held up and her mom, Irene, wanted her to work the summer before going out there. And so I just thought, well, I'm ready to go now. I've got my plans. <laughs> and so I think I'm going. Okay. So that's uh, how the connection with my grandfather came up. And yeah, I got on a plane in Omaha. My sister and two friends took me there. And, and a yeah, suitcase. And there you are. A suitcase. I left my car behind. And Uncle Milt that we spoke of, he and his wife, Pat, we're going back to visit family in Iowa and they said, we'll just do a one-way ticket and drive your car out that had no air conditioning. Mm. <laughs> and if you went over 55, it would start shaking like crazy, but they did it. They brought my car out for me. But yeah, getting off the airplane, like I said, we really didn't have a relationship with my grandfather. So I was landing to, to a person I had met, he and his wife, my grandma babe, but we didn't spend a lot of time with ever. And, and when we did, it wasn't usually, it didn't usually end well. So I didn't know what to think. And, uh, he showed up with, um, actually Milt and Merle and George's stepfather. His name was Peanuts. So, uh, he showed up with him at the airport and when I was flying in, I was ready for ocean and fun and excitement and, <laughs> and heading yeah. to California and, we flew into Palm Springs, so those of you who have flown in there know that it's it's desert. Right. And the only thing I could see were little squares of water in people's backyards, a lot of swimming pools, but it didn't look very fun to me when I landed. Mm -hmm. but, uh, yeah, and I remember uh, he took me, we stopped at a restaurant, and he was very excited uh, that I was there. So the entry was warm and welcoming, uh, and... Um, he was very proud to have a family member there. Yeah. Didn't you say at that restaurant, was it the first night he got up and sang a tune or something? Yeah. Yeah. He was known for singing. Um, Danny boy, he would belt out in a heartbeat, but he had an incredible voice. Mm -hmm. He really did. So did my dad, yeah, as did. you know, I do. but uh, dad didn't use it like grandpa did. Uh, dad would use it like occasionally but grandpa loved to sing mm -hmm. when you got off that plane how did you feel excited excited yeah 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 i was i guess yeah i wasn't raised with a lot of fear uh we now know you know through studies that fear is is learned most mm -hmm. of it is learned behavior or triggers um and so i wasn't raised with a lot of fear i was raised with great strength mm -hmm. and so um I didn't have any doubt that I could just do it. Yeah, no fear. I have lots of fears <laughs> that creep in there. But um, and once I had children, that's when like fear really entered uh, my heart. Harry, I am proud of you in a thousand ways. Hmm. But one of the gifts I admire most about you is your ability to walk with and love people well. I see it every day. How do you describe that? What does that feel like to you? Mm. And sh I should explain. You have a, a gift and also an opportunity to, to I'll, I'll just say again, walk with people. I often hear the term do life, which I personally kind of makes me cringe a little bit. But, right. but that is it. Trendy sayings. Yeah. We're not a fan of. I don't like labels. I don't like movements. I think that they end up at the end um, running over people. But um, yes, I am. I am blessed um, by the Lord to have a sacred gift of truly loving souls and getting to know the heart of people. So I, I am thankful for that gift because it's a sacred space when I sit down with someone and get to know their heart. We walk journeys together of various sorts, and I have a ton of mentors that I don't know what I'd do without, so I believe in 
we pour, people pour into us and we overflow and pour out to anybody um, that the Lord brings our way. So I'll say uh, I get the privilege of, since I live with you and we talk, we meet every, we meet every morning. We do. To talk, pray, and read. And uh, you have a gift of seeing what's going on and also having an idea of what should happen mm. given a situation. Um, now, it's always harder when it's your own life. So hopefully I can help you in that way too. But I'll say you have an off-the-charts gift in that, and I'm the beneficiary of that. Mm. So let's get, I'd like to get more specific. What does that feel like? Because you're, to me, I just imagine like you have a brain with a million filing cabinets and you're always thinking <laughs> through all these things, but you always have a, have these answers really quickly. Yeah. My brain is always running. That's for sure. And I think I've passed that on, uh, to our children. They've spoken that too. So I'm always thinking, I'm always, uh, I'm a deep thinker. I would call myself that. Um, part of that is my upbringing, my dad, um, uh, being in the military and doing a few tours overseas, Vietnam and Korea, uh, he was always a constantly analyzing things, constantly. And so um, since I was the youngest, I was beside him growing up constantly analyzing things and seeing how people tick and seeing how, um, how you can help them, how you can encourage them. My parents were big on receiving people in their home that were going through trauma or crisis. They were uh, first on the list for our family and circle of friends to call. So I got in on that at a very early age and um, loved seeing the hope begin to fill people's eyes again. Because a lot of times when I was little and they would drag me down to the hospital with them uh, in the middle of the night, uh, you could see that people's hope was gone. Oh, um, there was no hope in their eyes. So watching that refill with my parents overflowing hope and encouragement to them um, and taking their focus off the obstacle or the trauma or the crisis that was in front of them and shifting it uh, to a space where they could actually breathe again was really exciting for me to watch that transpire. So I think they were my teachers, along with, of course, the Lord who planted that seed in me. So you mentioned your father in the military, and for people who don't know you, Korea, Vietnam. Uh, I met him in the October, November of his life. He was a hero, but also dealt with PTSD before we really knew what that was, and so he dealt with it himself, and that was challenging. But I think that's part of what you're talking about, these skills that you naturally gained just growing up there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, my dad and I were good friends growing up. I was his confidant of things as he walked through them in the garage, always building something outside or in the garage or whatever odd job he would pick up along the way. I was by his side. So he was a great teacher in those areas of how to quickly define what was going on, assess a situation, quickly define what was going on and who was behaving in what way. Yeah, it made me want to be a DEA agent uh, at a very young age. You should be in the FBI, <laughs> I honestly. I thought, oh, that would be fun to, <laughs> <laughs> to help solve these mysteries and, and uh, get the bad guy to hopefully be rehabilitated. Um, I always I keep hope for even, I think that's one of the weird things about me or maybe the differences of me is that, you know, if there's hope for me, there's hope for anybody. But yeah, if, if you put it in my brain, it doesn't go away. Mm -hmm. So I do have like storage containers. Um, friends of mine, I just went on a trip uh, up through Yellowstone and Teton with a dear friend and, and we were walking outside of a coffee shop and she said what did they say about this and I said I don't know you'll have to google it and she said no I don't I count on you to remember <laughs> all those things in your boxes yeah true <laughs> not google so uh on that short list of my favorite things about you is your sense of humor mm. people 
I think, uh, probably have a sense of this, but I'm not sure people understand how good your sense of humor is. It wow. is wicked good. You know? You're quick with comebacks, perfect timing, comedic timing. Mm-hmm. Where did you get that? Oh, wow. Yeah, I would say growing up again. Um, my parents didn't treat me as a child ever and I in turn um, that's the way we chose to raise our kids is they always talked to me like a little human that was learning so I was in around a lot of the humor and there was a lot of laughter (laughs) growing (laughs) up and people coming and going and and, uh, family in and out and and lots of sort of slyly sarcastic joking is, and a lot of that is how you deal with trauma too. Um, that is definitely my go-to. The sense of humor breaks through the ice. So I have sh- <laughs> I've had my share of that <laughs> and I've sharpened it over the year, mm-hmm. the years and um, praise the Lord. He used that to get me through. But Well, I, th- I think anyone who's listened to this podcast does have a sense of that quick yeah. Timing. You're there with the, Paul Blart, the deadpan. Paul cop. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Think back to your childhood. Do you have a favorite memory? Hmm. Yeah, I think it was just um, family. It was uh, very much family since my mom and dad had traveled so much and moved so many places with the military overseas and Japan and Switzerland, Germany, they really knew how to appreciate the fact that family was close. So, um, and then I have one, I was born in Fort Ord, California. The base is now closed up in Northern California. And then my dad went on his final tour in Vietnam when I was right around six months old, came back when I was 18 months old, and we ended up in Fort Hood in Texas. And um, then we moved... Um, family vote, I was told, and I wasn't old enough to vote between Colorado and Iowa. And that's where we ended up and close to family in Iowa. And um, I do have this memory of my dad and I, as we were moving, because I think I was probably out of sorts. We had moved quite a bit because we had been in Iowa too, in California and Iowa and and Fort Hood, and now we were going back to Iowa. And I was probably four to five years old at this point. And um, he was underneath a chair that was stacked, and we, he decided to calm me down. He was really good at helping others calm down. And so he got me under the chair, and, and we played jacks underneath the chair. So that, no one, in fact, I don't think I've ever even shared that memory with anyone other than you, but... Um, so I wasn't told of that memory. <laughs> so it might have played a part in in the whole journeying with people as well. That was an early memory. What's a favorite memory you can think of about your mom? Yeah. Oh, wow. My mom was, she was a lover of souls. She really was. Probably, um, I grew up with uh, cousins in the backyard once we did land in Sioux City. Iowa and um, Mike and Christy, they lived right, you know, our backyards met up. And so we did, you know, back then you entertained, there was no uh, video games or cell phones or anything like that. So we did a lot of outdoor entertaining of ourselves with bike parades and all kinds of fun. But um, she would always have um, lunch and Kool-Aid ready, you know, when we had our break from our our parades outside and she was just always welcoming to everybody to come in the house and and um yeah and brushing my hair would be the other <laughs> big memory she just knew she was a nurturer and she knew how to also calm people and um, make them feel very loved yeah even uh, up until um, their departure um, within the last five years heavenward bound, um, going home, I felt, I always felt safe. I always felt like, oh, okay, I can relax even though I'm an adult and I have children and now we have two grandchildren. Um, I can relax cause they've got me. So, um, even as an adult, and I think that's a rare thing. I'm not sure that everybody else feels that, but 
anyway, they were good. They were great parents. They were broken uh, from the years of trauma um, and the PTSD that you spoke of, just like we're broken, you and I, Maddie. Um, but they really gave it their all throughout our lives. I'll just say something I don't, I don't know how this is possible, but after Buck got out of the service, uh, I think it was basically like your siblings were up and at it. It was you and Opal at home mostly because he was working, I'm going to say 20 hours a day or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. He, he was working full time at the post office and then had a couple of side jobs where he'd be up all night. Yeah, practically up all night. So it was mostly you and Opal at that around that time, around the house. Yeah. 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 And mom did go back to work um, when I was probably in fourth grade. But yeah, it was it was her and I a lot. We did a lot of even after she went back to work, dad, dad worked nights and then he would work overtime at the post office, too. And I think that was one of the ways he dealt uh, with coming home. He had a lot of anger. Um, as you heard, if you're listening to the podcast, he um, they were not, as we all know, too, uh, but specifically dad has me- had memories of not being received well once he got to his homeland. And um, the military was definitely not celebrated during that era. And so it was hard to find a job. It was hard to find. So I think that was one of the, you know, you weren't coming home to a warm welcome. And then you've got all this stuff that you don't even know how to unpack because at the, mil- the military at that time uh, didn't realize or didn't have the resources uh, to come up with a way to transition them, which they do now. That's how he dealt with a lot of that is keeping busy. Yeah, so that left mom and I alone a lot. And I have a lot of fond memories of that too in the evenings and just even making dinner together and watching TV and the simple things of life, you know, before we got crazy with phones. And (laughs) I also had a great grandfather, uh, Grandpa Mac, who they had changed the road, the pathway that he used to walk. He lived in this old shack in James, Iowa. And with his spittoon and mice running around underneath the floorboards. <laughs> and um, he walked a pathway to get his whiskey and his chew to Leeds, Iowa. And then it got busier and they made it a highway. And he was in his 90s. He wasn't going to stop walking that road. And so um, there were a few times I remember mom getting the call because he was close to mom. <laughs> And she wouldn't yell at him as much as our grandma would, his daughter. And uh, so we would end up down in the emergency room, and he had gotten blown over by a semi (laughs) on the road. Going to get his whiskey. Right? Going to get his whiskey and his chew. But, uh, yeah, lived deep into his 90s, so uh, that was his routine. Here's another gift that I admire in you is your writing, your way with words and your writing. And you have embraced that over the last few years. Mm -hmm. This has been a thrill for me to watch. You spent one year, every day, you wrote a a devotional. And now you're sharing that on social media. And I, uh, I love it. And it speaks to me every day Mm. when you share it. Um, Thank you for doing that. Have you always been a writer? I've always been a writer. Um, yeah, not a good one and still still attempting to get over that hump. But um, yeah, it's enjoyable. And it's my art form that is my outlet. That's how I can calm myself down. And yeah, even as a child, um, you know, there was situations in the house that uh, mom and dad were still dealing with the outcomes of war. And, um, so there was tension in the house. And so I would go down, I would get beside my bed and sometimes I would cover my ears, um, with music. So music was a part of my healing process. And then I had my spiral notebook and I would write and it would typically be really heavy, uh, really heavy life situations, even at a young age that I would work my way through um, 
as I wrote them out to a happy ending. <laughs> you always got to end on a high, right? And, uh, and now, you know, as you get older, you know, that's not the case. You just have to hold on. Um, so the title of my devotional book that I will eventually um, get printed is Let's Hold It Here which came from a song download that will be in the book. I haven't shared that with anyone yet. And Matt's still working on the uh, melody of that. But um, yeah, I asked the Lord, uh, John Denver. I am a huge fan of John Denver. And he downloaded, I'm going to try to grab my memory here, um, Annie's song on his way down a slope in Aspen. I think it was in like, 12 to 14 minutes. So um, I asked the Lord, hey, can you do that with me? (laughs) Which my song is nowhere near Annie's song. But um, I did enjoy it. I enjoyed uh, the process of just allowing uh, the flow of the song to come through me and the words to come through me. So that was um, a sharpening tactic that I had before I started writing the devotional. And I was on my way back from my niece's wedding in Hastings, Nebraska with our two daughters and Kenzie's uh, boyfriend, Tucker. And they encouraged me for an hour. I was a captive audience um, to just start publishing it on Instagram and Facebook and um, go from there. So that's the phase I'm in right now. And uh, God is graciously granting me uh, sacred notes on the side of people who have been encouraged by it. People of all different realms, faiths, diversity. Um, And that's really uh, what we need to hold hands and be a part of is I'm a big proponent. This is my philosophy. And Matt says a lot, what you focus on expands. So if we keep our eyes on the obstacles 24 seven, we, my belief is we will drown ourselves. So we have to have those reprieve moments and encourage each other and walk forward and, yes, accomplish things. Yes, make changes where there needs to be changes. But um, but you have to give your body, mind, and soul breaks from that and, and have encouraging moments and joy along the journey, even in the midst of huge trauma. Amen, Harry. The reason I haven't finished that song is that nothing I've come up with compares to the chorus you wrote, because you wrote the melody for that. Aww. Now that you know what you know in your life, is there anything you would do differently? It, I mean, I guess I could just share my philosophy of life, and um, <laughs> I think of my dad, too, when I say this, because he said this when we interviewed him, a, a version of this. Um, but... I think that one of the greatest healing moments in life is when you start to see the gratitude even in the traumas. And when you begin to have gratitude for that moment because you realize how you grew through it and you survived it, if you survived it, you've learned and prayerfully you've grown forward instead of growing angry or growing backwards. Um, then you can be grateful for it. You can be grateful in my life. I can be grateful for almost everything. I don't want to be challenged, so I'm being really careful. But um, but you and I look at my life that way too, and we are grateful um, that I was married before you because because of that and... Uh, because of my two marriages to my ex-husband and two divorces. We have two beautiful, amazing children um, to bring forward with us. So our life would not be the same without that. So you can always find a way. Some are really challenging, but the person I always go to if I'm feeling sorry for myself or self-pity or this is different, this is a trauma that I can't get through, um, is Corey Temboom. And if you don't know who she is, um, look her up, read her amazing books. Maybe Matt will put a link. And um, I'm not sure who wrote the tapestry poem or Life is But a Weaving. Um, If you haven't heard of it, 
you should look it up, but it talks about the gold and the black strands underneath and, and how we need both of them. We need some of the things that happen that aren't so great and the beautiful things. And until um, we get to heaven, we don't get to see the top side of the weaving, which is God's masterpiece. And it's beautiful from the top side. And underneath, we get all the strings that hang down and, and sometimes they're not so beautiful. Sometimes they don't feel so good. So anyway, I really admire her. If you haven't read any of her books, she mentions this poem, I think in the Hiding Place um, book. It could be another book. But anyway, she mentions that poem in a couple of her books and, and probably held on to that in some of her darker moments. I know I have. Who is a mentor in your life that comes to mind and what did they teach you? Oh, wow. There's a lot. So There's I know a I, that, lot. So, so I'm just saying, who is A? Because I'm asking you to talk about one, that, which is tough, I know. Yeah. Okay, so to leave all the amazing mentors aside for a minute that I have in my life right now, my grandma was my first, uh, my grandma Bates was my first mentor. And we walked a very close journey together, as she did with many, many people as well. Um uh, and many of my cousins and family members. But even when I moved to California and was going through things, my mom and dad would call me because back then long distance was a charge. And they would say, we're talking to grandma because she got a $350 phone bill this month <laughs> right. from hours of talking to you. So, um, and vice versa, I would have the same phone bill on my side. So um, she just had a way of um, teaching me as well how to walk with people no matter the circumstances and believe in people and love people no matter what. Um, my mom, my dad had kind of a sharper edge on that. If if you had done him wrong in his life, um, that may be it for you. You may not have another chance. Um, but grandma gave everybody a second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh. So I guess the the combination of my mom, dad, and my grandma. And she was just an amazing human. You would turn, you know, you'd be like, I wonder what grandma's up to lately. And you would turn on the TV and there she is. She's cooking on Channel 9, <laughs> sharing <laughs> her amazing recipes yeah. with all the viewers. And she just had this spunk and love of people. And she gave everything. If you needed it, she was literally the shirt off her back. Um, type of person. So she also uh, gifted me that. I have a time machine right here. I'm going to press a button. You can go back to any time in history and talk with, have lunch, coffee with anyone. Who would you meet with and what would you ask them? Hmm. Yeah, I think this is such a great question and it's so hard, like all of our um, guests say. Um, but you know, John Denver, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I would have to ask him, what was that gift you had that uh, you could write uh, those, you know, I think Bree the other day said he was a great lyricist. And he was. Um, and there was many, but uh, John happened to be a part of my childhood. So um, in fourth grade, I we were <laughs> tasked with the assignment of choosing a song and uh, cutting out pictures from magazines and, and, you know, flipping them up as you go through the song. Well, I chose Sunshine on My Shoulders at age nine or 10 when everyone else was like, I remember my best friend chose Short People, you know, um, and if you don't know that song, look it up. But um, uh, it's a pretty yuck song, actually, yeah. but it, very satirical. Rand and, Randy Newman, right? Yeah. Yeah, but um, but John's songs have endured. John's songs have endured, but at that age, people were looking at me and right, and snoozing right. off, dozing off. They didn't understand why I chose him. <laughs> but, but yeah, I've always had that kind. Of, and then you know Frank Sinatra. Oh wow, mm -hmm. wow, wow, wow! How did you do what you did, Frank? Um, and the choices, would he have something he would do differently if he had it to do over again? Regrets? <laughs> I, have, I have a few, but then again, too few to mention. <laughs> so, and then, of course, 
you know, it, the ultimate one would be Jesus. Um, I'm just leaving that aside because I think people know that that would be my ultimate choice. Um, and then biblically, David. Uh, David, of course, was the ultimate, for me, the ultimate writer with the good and the bad. He he was so full of good and so full of bad, uh, just like every human. Um, and yet through it all, he held on to God. So, um, yeah, the, the holding on is the part and not looking at the obstacles. He was genius, of course, with Goliath at not looking at the obstacle in front of him. He was looking, I always envision him looking over and seeing, looking into the eyes of Jesus or our father, God above it all. So if we can just train ourselves to remain above the circumstances, it helps. Trust me, it helps. <laughs> this po- this episode is just filled with nuggets every 30 seconds. We could, I could stop down on, but we'd have a four-hour episode. Yes, we would. And I do have to go get our daughter from cross-country. Oh, yeah, there so, is that. Well, then know. I better ask you. You better ask me. The name of this podcast is Just Over the Fence, and we ask every guest on this podcast, what is something you'd like to throw out just over the fence? A piece of wisdom, an idea that you wish... Everyone listening knew. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it would be along those lines of what we were just talking about. Help those around you. Love your neighbor as yourself. And whether we like it or not, we all uh, focus on ourselves. Take that love and pour it around you each day in the grocery store, at the gas station. There there's so many opportunities to spread hope, love, and joy. And throughout my life, um, the Lord has always thrown me challenges. If I say, Lord, just not that person. (laughs) I don't want to walk with that person. I can't do it. I can't be kind about it. I've seen this. And uh, there they are right in front of me. So don't worry about what they're doing, what they're behaving like, what they're... uh, Just throw out a little love and see what happens. Spread those love seeds. Harry, I am in love with you, and I am proud of you, and thank you for sharing all of this. Mm. Um, I think you've given people a little insight window into what I get to experience every day. So, Mm. ha-ha, people, I get this every day. (laughs) Ha-ha, people, he gets gets the other side every day, too. (laughs) And same to you, you get... (laughs) You get me every day. There's so. good and the bad, and there's <laughs> bad and the good. <laughs> Thank you, there bud. We go.